This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you guys tonight. It is Friday. Yesterday, I said it was Friday. It's really Friday today. And our phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ, if you want to join this uh, late-night national town hall forum and have your voice heard. It's my pleasure to, to have that conversation with you. And... Um, get into those topics that you want to discuss. But I want to start off with a couple of things, not the least of which is the uh, White House is firing back. We've got a uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, I believe this is our third audio cut of the day, saying that it's very irresponsible reporting for anyone to allege that the cocaine found in the White House might have belonged to the Biden family. Now, I'm going to let you hear it and then we'll talk about it. Check this out. There has been some irresponsible reporting uh, about the family, and, uh, and so I got to call that out here. And I have been very clear. I was clear uh, two days ago when talking about this over and over again as I was being asked a question. As you know, and media outlets reported this, the Biden family was not here. They were not here. They were at Camp David. They were not here Friday. They were not here Saturday. They were not here Sunday. They were not even here Monday. They came back on Tuesday. So to ask that question is actually incredibly irresponsible. And and um, I'll just leave it there. Now, there are some White House pool reporters that reported that the president's son, Hunter Biden, was with him in the presidential SUV on one of those days where she's saying he wasn't there. I don't know if that reporting is the irresponsible reporting she's talking about or not. We will look into it and get to the bottom of it. But one of the White House poll reporters did report uh, that Hunter Biden was there one of those days and then left to Camp David. Uh, But my point is, I'm not trying to prove that anything belongs to Hunter Biden. Uh, I, I believe my own opinion is that I don't think Hunter Biden is doing or sniffing cocaine. I think he's been pretty open about his former drug use, and it was smoking meth and smoking crack. Uh, It wasn't um, snorting cocaine. I didn't see any of that in those videos uh, on his laptop. Again, doesn't mean he doesn't do it, but not something I would imagine. Um, Now, based on the several individuals or a couple of individuals that we had a conversation with, former White House employees that have gone through this process, uh, one of them, Lynn Patton, former um, 
HUD official and current senior advisor to the 45th president's campaign, she says that the easiest way to bypass some of the security to get into the West Wing is to ride in on the motorcade. Now, she didn't say that she believed it was Hunter's. She didn't say she believed it was the president's. She just said that those that have access to the motorcade uh, would have the easiest chance of uh, smuggling in some contraband. So I'll leave that where it is, right? We'll see what happens with that. Uh, But fascinating to me that rather than, again, come out and say, well, American people, I'm here to tell you that we take this stuff seriously and this is not a joke. We're going to get to the bottom of it because you deserve answers and uh, President Biden believes that we should do better. And try and reinforce uh, some some norms, right? Just uh, some adult in the room type of thing. But no, 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 none of that. Instead, irresponsible reporting. Now, I am going to, in the odd occasion, I'm going to agree. I saw a headline somewhere that said something like cocaine confirmed in the White House after Hunter Biden had been there. Now, these were two facts, but they were somewhat separate facts and they were not necessarily related in any way. And and I thought, you know, that that does tend to lead people to believe that the cocaine is was found as a result of Hunter Biden's visit. And, and again, it was written in a way where that you might infer that, but it wasn't it wasn't uh, portrayed that way in the writing. Uh, but you could make that inference. So uh, I, I think. Yeah, if you're trying to write a provocative headline and you want to write it that way, go right ahead. Um, I honestly would love to know whose it is. I would love to know if, what if it's Karine Jean-Pierre's? And I'm not saying she has a drug problem or anything like that. I'd love to know. I'd love to know who the individual is. And and I think uh, we, we should know. I mean, it's such a big story already. But that is Karine Jean-Pierre. Now, I want to move to a couple of other things before we move on, because there's a lot going on tonight. Tonight, we're having a a few really interesting discussions that I hope you can stick around for. I'm going to be with you straight till 1 a.m. Eastern, keeping you company all night long. We're live and we're national, so we'll be taking your calls throughout uh, from anywhere in the country. But uh, we're going to touch upon something that I think comes up every other day, which is um, the issue of race, right, and racial grievances. And um, the author of the book, What's the Problem Now? Black Grievances and White Guilt. He's going to join us to get into some of those stories, as well as the editor-at-large at at Real Clear Investigations, Ben Weingarten. Uh, He's going to join us and discuss his thoughts on the court case that was decided recently uh, at the federal level saying that Biden overstepped his bounds and uh, violated the First Amendment by colluding with big tech companies. That's a big deal. And someone who's just written a book on disinformation coming out and disinforming people just a little bit more, trying to say that, you know, this is disinformation. (laughs) And uh, so we'll we'll dig into that as well. And um, Lisa Miller, she's uh, written a book on the business of joy But what we're going to discuss is why extreme pride in America has fallen to a near record low number. And uh, we we discussed a little bit about that poll yesterday, but um, we didn't talk about why, what's exactly happening. So I'm curious to have that conversation as well. And uh, just a quick tease. I don't normally tease things this far out, but on Monday, 
Uh, we're, we're expected to have a really big show as well. A lot of interesting people, a lot of great topics. So uh, later on, we'll play a little audio on some of that stuff as well. But other big news that I wanted to share with you. Cluster bombs, right? Cluster bombs have been uh, approved by the Biden administration and sent to Ukraine. Now, Admiral Jake Sullivan uh, took to the podium today to remind everybody that Ukraine would not be using these munitions in some foreign land. We're just sending them, you know, so that they can have them and use them in a very careful way. And uh, they've provided these written assurances that they're going to use them carefully. So um, it's a quintessential Jake Sullivan speaking out of uh, both sides of his mouth. Listen to this. Ukraine has provided written assurances that it is going to use these in a very careful way that is aimed at minimizing any risk to civilians. And by the way, Ukraine, the democratically elected government of Ukraine, has every incentive to minimize risk to civilians because it's their citizens, it's Ukrainians, who they are trying to protect and defend. This is not Ukraine taking these and going and using them in the Middle East or in Southeast Asia or in some faraway land. They're using them on their territory to defend their territories. Oh, geez, thanks for clarifying that. Uh, For a second, nobody knew that they were at war with Russia. Geez, it's amazing how people speak down to the American people. Such an educated uh, populace. And then you've got guys like Sullivan here that just talk to you like you, you just fell off the turnip truck. Unbelievable. Anyway, we're going to talk about racial grievances and everything that goes along with the culture clash in America as it pertains to race coming up straight ahead. Plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 4-Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. With Rich Valdez. And this may sound offensive, but it's just fact. Two old white guys at the front on each, in each party, okay? The Politico headline, I think, said it all. Vakari's laughing. The GOP field is more diverse yeah, I mean, than ever. Awake right now. The, GOP, the GOP isn't heralding the achievement. This is a diver- Can we show? I mean, I don't know if we have an image to show, but this is a more diverse than ever GOP field. And... Do you agree it's not they're not heralding that in a normal cycle? This would be so applauded across all spectrums, all corners of the country. We have a a series of candidates that are so good in so many different things, and we would really be truly running a vetting process. The only way I can explain Donald Trump right now is is Stockholm syndrome, right? It's like this guy kidnaps the Republican Party in 2016, mistreats us, abuses us, and then gets gets convicted or, or, or arrested. And now his own victims are coming back to defend him. Right. That's what's going on here. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you, you can't help but love this stuff, right? You hear this woman saying, I don't mean to offend anybody. And then she goes and makes these, you know, um, interesting comments. And the reality is the GOP is typically 
the more diverse uh, field from what I've seen. It usually is because of all the differences that you have in the party. You have the fiscal conservatives and social conservatives and all sorts of different conservatives that uh, and, and non-conservatives, moderates and whatnot. You have a lot of, of diversity there. And this is not the first time we've seen that. We saw it in 2018. Um, I'm trying to think back who ran in 2016. Um, it was kind of the same on both sides. But the 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 midterms in 2018, same thing. And, and quite often... You know, there's always this talk from the left, from the other side, where people are saying things like this. And ultimately, they're the ones that go ahead and fail to nominate Kamala Harris, fail to nominate uh, Tulsi Gabbard, fail to nominate whomever that, that might be ultra diverse on their side. And they go with an old white guy named Joe Biden. So, I mean, who are they kidding? Right. And, and when we when it comes to race, racial grievances and all of that. I mean, there's never a shortage of that in the news. That was just CNN, Poppy Harlow and CNN. Uh, just, um, I think that was earlier today or yesterday, but this happens every day, every day. We hear about reparations. We hear about our country being systemically racist. You name it, we hear it. And there's a book out called What's the Problem Now? Black Grievances and White Guilt. And it's a satirical slant by Michael Brando. He's a social commentator. And uh, he's with us to talk about the book and some of what you could expect through the book and to help us kind of analyze some of the news today. Michael Brando, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I really want to get into this with you because, you know, whether it's that clip that we just heard or, you know, what you're observing on the news every single day, it seems like there's never a shortage of hypocritical and unfounded racial commentary, and people seem to really love it. Well, I'm one of those old white guys, and I'm coming to embrace <laughs> that expression, like it or not. Um, <laughs> I have no choice. Um, I wrote a, a kind of dark comedy about about race in America. That's what my, my new book is. Uh, and uh, the main characters are white people and black people, because no matter how much the left talks about so-called people of color, they usually mean only black people, right? I mean, if Asians are being called white, uh, white supremacists now. I mean, it's basically white and black. And uh, But I try not to spare anyone either, because this is a, mostly a satirical book. I, I don't spare the the white Wokies who uh, put down the rest of white people for not be, having some sort of special relationship to black people that they think they have. And, and, and I, I don't spare radical black people who blame white people for all their problems. Well, let's uh, look at a couple examples of that. I know that you, you lay out some of the culture clashes uh, when, when certain folks come into certain neighborhoods, and you've documented that in the book. Tell us about it. Well, that's a very personal, firsthand account of, of what I've experienced living in New York for 41 years now. I mean, I live in Greenwich Village, which is uh, not the bohemian place it used to be. It's become a very wealthy, very, very white neighborhood. I don't, I don't know of any I think black Anderson people. Cooper lives there. Yeah, he lives around the corner from me on 3rd Street, yeah. Uh, we have the same barber, in fact. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but my neighborhood is very white, and uh, 
except for maybe some NYU students and their their transients. But uh, what's happened since George Floyd is we have we've had this influx of of of, of black people who wouldn't normally be there, released from prison, bail reform, and uh, mental wards. Um, but but don't get me wrong, I, I I love black people. I've had two black boyfriends. I've and and I see black people, nice couples come into the neighborhood and have rest, have dinner downstairs in the restaurant and. Uh, uh, and I feel for them because they're clearly a little uncomfortable. I mean, black people are not only a minority in my neighborhood, they're kind of like, you see a black couple in, in, in a restaurant, they're sort of like two specks in a, in a sea of white faces. Um, and and uh, I really feel for them. I, I, I wish they wouldn't feel uncomfortable. I wish they would come back. It's, it's not them I'm making fun of in the book. It's, it's the other blacks who come to my neighborhood specifically to cause problems and like it or not that's been going on for a long time now you it seems like you take a really uh, equal opportunity even-handed approach at dishing out the the satire here can you talk about racial boredom uh explain that concept well i think many people have reached a saturation point hearing all the things you were just talking about they've made everything about race and they've shifted gears since since uh, 2020. Now it seems you can't even pick up a magazine or a newspaper or watch a commercial on television without thinking the entire world is just black people. This is this is what they're doing. I mean that Cleopatra thing on Netflix. That was the worst viewed television program in all of TV history. They're trying to cram this stuff down our throat in the market fortunately is saying no to it, but it desensitizes us to some of the real problems black people might might still be facing, and it kind of makes us not care. It turned me into a Republican. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Let me just remind everybody uh, who we're on with and how they could get your book. Uh, folks, we're on with Michael Abrando. He's the author of What's the problem now? Black grievances and white guilt. And Michael Brando, tell everybody where they can get a copy of the book. My book is available worldwide on Amazon. Barnes & Noble uh, on their site carry it, and a lot of independent stores have picked it up. Uh, you can pretty much get it anywhere online. You could buy a normal book. And if people want to follow you online, any social media account that you could uh, point people to? I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook. Outstanding. Folks, Michael Brando, get a copy of the book, What's the Problem Now? Black Grievances and White Guilt. It's a satirical book uh, with filled with social commentary, and I, I think it's a, it's a break from everything that we're hearing on CNN and everywhere else. Uh, Michael Brando, I want to thank you for being with us. I really appreciate it. Godspeed to you with the book. Thank you. All right. Folks, more to come straight ahead, your calls and more. We're also going to get into what is the story here with a principal in Philadelphia who was replaced after denying a student her diploma. We talked about that the other day. We're going to get an update on that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. June 21st, and I think this happened on the 19th of June, there was a young lady that um, did a cultural dance. Uh, She's a Muslim. She had her Muslim headgear on, and she did a a cultural dance or walk or stride to get her diploma, and she was dissed when she got to the principal. They didn't give her the diploma. They, like, shook her hand, and she had to walk away without a diploma in her hand. Absolutely humiliating. And I remember, you know, saying, if that happened to my kid, I think I'd lose it. Anyway, um, the the school district apologized afterwards, saying that, you know, I think we have the report. Listen to this. She stole that moment from me. I will never get that again. Hafsa Abdur Rahman cried tears of humiliation instead of joy at her high school graduation on June 9th. The 17-year-old says the principal warned students their families could not cheer or clap when they walk on stage. And I understood the rules, so I was telling in the video, I'm like, like, do not say nothing because I want my diploma. I knew and understood what we were supposed to do. In this video, you can see Abdur Rahman dance across the stage. And then hear the response from the crowd. She says because they laughed, the principal told her she could not receive her diploma. If they thought that I shouldn't like do the gritty across the stage and do the girls' high traditions, nobody should have been able to wave or blow kisses or do period signs because I feel like that's the same thing. So I just thought it was really unfair. Abdur Rahman says she's not alone. Three other girls did not get their diplomas on stage, but all of them did after the ceremony. The school district of Philadelphia said in a statement, quote, the district does not condone the withholding of earned diplomas based on family members cheering for their graduates. We apologize to all the families and graduates who were impacted and are further looking into this matter to avoid it happening in the future. Although Abdur Rahman wishes she had a better experience, she and her mother hope school leaders learned a valuable lesson. It's 2023. A lot has happened. These girls went through COVID together. I understand traditions and rules are set, you know, in place for a reason. And we're not saying that they should be broken, but it might need to be revised also. Let me tell you, that that story, um, it rubbed me the wrong way. Because I thought it was absolutely, what that mom said was absolutely true. And again, only because I had a high school senior. My daughter, my youngest daughter graduated just three weeks ago or whatever it was. And I can tell you, this is, this poor girl, her four years of high school was only three. And not because she got skipped a grade, because COVID. I mean, they lost an entire year. She actually lost more like a year and some months because they kept uh, delaying it and the stupid policies that if you were in the same classroom as somebody that tested positive, even if you didn't test positive, you had to 
uh, quarantined for uh, 14 days. That happened to her one time, back to back. Two kids got sick. She was out for 28 straight days. I mean, who is this benefiting, right? It, it was horrible. While many states were using a test-to-stay type of thing, and that's a whole other conversation, but my, my point here is this, this girl worked hard to get her, her degree, her diploma, and to, to be treated the way she was treated, I thought was absolutely horrible. I mean, she didn't disrespect anybody. It was, uh, when you see the video, it wasn't anything crazy. You know, it was like she was skipping. You know, uh, for all I know, she, it wasn't some cultural thing. It was, she was just happy. Uh, people laughed and kind of uh, joked, and it, it wasn't a disruption. It wasn't anything. And th- they treated her so poorly. And I'm glad they did that. Well, anyway, the update to this story is this. The Philadelphia high school principal uh, who did that was replaced after denying diplomas to her and those other two girls. And good. I'm glad that happened. The principal was replaced, at least temporarily, after she went viral for denying at least two students their diplomas because of their onstage celebration. Let me read this to you. New York Post, listen to this. Lisa Messi, she was the principal of Philadelphia High School for Girls. She's been replaced by Janice Butler as a substitute leader at the historic Magnet School, the Philadelphia Inquirer reported. Again, so listen to this. All-girls school, and it's a magnet school, meaning you've got a test to get in, right? It's it's not your, your average district school. And and this is how they're they're treating students that that perform at a higher level. I I think it was. I'm glad this person is not around kids anymore. That's not what you need. That, that not teaching anybody anything. Don't let your family cheer for you because if they cheer too loud, we're not going to give you your diploma. I mean, really. Uh, all I could say is don't invite me to celebrate your anything if you don't expect me to act up and act the fool. That's what I specialize in. I scream from the stands. I get everybody there. I don't bring the air horn like some people do, but I'm not mad at the air horn people. Even though it's annoying, but you know what? That's their moment. I'm not going to steal their moment. That's crazy. Come on. You don't know what certain people go through. You know, for some people, it's it's not a big deal. For others, it's a huge deal. You know, I, I did three years of high school, and then I had extraordinary success with a business I started out of my house. I used to cut hair in my bathroom. And I had amassed like 100 clients, and somebody saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and said, you should open a business. And I was like, yeah, maybe when I'm older. And they're like, no, you should do it now because you have the business now. And I transferred from the high school that I went to, North Bergen High School. I transferred to the uh, county vocational school, did high school at night in my senior year. Uh, So I didn't graduate with my senior class, um, which delayed me. I actually ended up graduating a year later with a bunch of old people that, you know, were new to the country, many of them. And, and my point was my parents, um, my, my dad had a sixth grade education. My mom, um, chose not to go to her, her high school graduation. So it was like uh, this legacy of people not graduating on stage for high school. Now, some families, everybody's done it. It's just a thing everybody did. But in my family, when my oldest daughter graduated high school, it was like, wow, you're like the first one in our family to walk across a high school stage, despite whatever success we may have had. There were people like my other brothers of mine that got GEDs and were extraordinarily successful in uh, law enforcement and other areas. But that was the, the path that we'd taken. So when I hear a story like this and I say, you know, wow, Here's a girl who's, you know, at a magnet school, meaning she had to get in, had to apply and, and be selected to, to get in. 
And because of the way she walked and the way that the audience responded with a brief chuckle was denied her diploma, I, I, I found it to be disgusting. And I'm, I'm so glad they took this person out. Now, the school district associate superintendent, Tomas Hanna, uh, informed the community in a letter about the temporary change in leadership, saying Dr. Butler is excited to support the school community to help set the stage for a successful 23-24 school year, according to uh, one of the reports. And the move comes after the controversial June 9th graduation, which made national headlines when Messi was seen waving at least two students off of the stage as they stepped up to receive their diplomas. This woman should be ashamed of herself, Lisa Messi. Unbelievable. And if you want to come on this program and explain why you did what you did and give your rationale, happy to hear you out. Give us a call, by the way. If you're listening, Miss Messi, please call. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. I think this whole thing is out of this is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here. Now, listen to this. Um, and this is a, a, a drive-by. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this particular uh, uh, topic. But, oh, my goodness. Right? After listening to the story that we just heard about uh, Ms. Rockman and how she was dissed when she went to receive her high school diploma, here's a crazy other side of that coin. An Iowa teenager gets 35 years to life in prison for beating their Spanish teacher to death over a bad grade. Absolutely crazy. Now, listen. In life, we have to be fair, right? I don't think this is fair. I don't think you get a bad grade and you get to beat somebody up. Uh, but I also don't think, and I, I could care less about your religion or your faith or whatever you are. This is America, right? I may be a Christian, uh, but... I realize not everyone is. And I can't sit here and say, well, you know, because you're a Muslim, we're not going to give you a diploma. But because you're a Christian, you do get to get a diploma. Right. I mean, it's just the whole thing's not fair. Fair is fair. And you got to call them like you see them. It's part of having integrity. It's part of doing what's right. And this kid here didn't do what's right. Right. The two Iowa teens. They pled guilty to first-degree murder after bludgeoning a Spanish teacher to death with a baseball bat. They were sentenced on Thursday to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 35 years. Willard Miller, 17 years old, and Jeremy 
Goodale, G-O-O-D-A-L-E, who's now 18 years old, were both 16 years old when they were charged with the November 3rd, 2021 killing of their Fairfield High School teacher, Noema Graber, who was 66 years old. Her body was discovered in a city park hidden under a tarp and a wheelbarrow near uh, the railroad ties, or there was railroad ties holding her down. Crazy. Again, both teens pled guilty in April. It's a horrible thing. And here's what the judge said. Your horrific actions led to the death of Noema Garber and her family will never be able to fill that void. That's Judge Sean Showers. And he told uh, Miller, the defendant Miller, that he would have considered sending him to life without parole if the state allowed for such a sentence for a juvenile. That, in my opinion, is disgusting. This is a killing that destroyed the morale of the uh, city of Fairfield, Iowa, where they've got a population less than 10,000 people about 100 miles outside of Des Moines. So for anybody that takes offense to me defending a teenage girl that gets dissed for getting her diploma for the way she walked to get her diploma, what's really disgusting is when you have two teenagers killing their teacher in cold blood. That's not mince words. It is what it is. And and unfortunately, this is a horrible situation. So, I mean, who wants to see kids go to jail? Nobody. But who wants to see murderers go to jail? Everybody. And in this instance, these kids both pled guilty to what they did. They're murderers. And if, you know, we don't know, right? We don't know what happens if you let a kid that says, oh, you gave me a bad grade? Let me beat you to death with a baseball bat. What happens when this kid's 25 or 35? Do they become members of the ministry? Do they give it up? Do they leave those harmful ways behind? I don't know. Or is this, you know, their fate? Now they're like, the first time they did it was hard, but it's a lot easier now. Oh, you cut me off? Hold on, let me get my bat. You know, I didn't like the way you looked at me. Let me get my baseball bat. This disregard for human life that we're seeing is is atrocious. That is what's truly disgusting. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. I want to talk about the Anglican Church and how one bishop is saying, referring to God as our father is problematic. I say that guy's problematic. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez. I invite you to rise in body or spirit and let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic 
and had two dads and saw I mean, everyone. You hear this stuff, it's just dad. absolutely blasphemous, in my opinion. They try to um, misstate the facts to, to make you know, Jesus Christ had two dads. Okay, granted, yeah, there was uh, Joseph and, of course, God the Father. Understood. But it's God the Father, right? But no, the Anglican Church is now uh, taking exception to that, saying that's not God the Father. Uh, in fact, you can't you can't use that term anymore. Uh, they don't want to use that term anymore because they feel that this is problematic. It's oppressively patriarchal. That's crazy, right? Now, during a meeting of major players in the Anglican Church, the Archbishop of York, Stephen Cottrell, suggested that the words of our father, uh, the prayer, Christianity's most prominent prayer, may be problematic because of their patriarchal association. Now, if this is to be accepted by some idiot that accepts this, all I could tell you is you've just walked into the biggest trap ever because this is a, a, a situation where there, it's not like there's equal opportunity in, in the Bible, per se, right? There's no, there's no um, affirmative action or anything like that, right? It, it's, it's mainly men, and, and there are many women in the Bible, but they have a different role than the men do. And it, it's just um, amazing to me the, the, way, the way this is put out. But listen to this. Uh, addressing uh, the church members, Cottrell acknowledged that the prayer which Christ instructed his 12 apostles to pray in the New Testament may bother those who've dealt with oppression stemming from their early fathers. Oh, so if you had a bad situation with your dad growing up, you may not like to hear the Our Father prayer. That's insanity to me. Really, I mean, many people can be offended at many different things. That doesn't mean that we go ahead and uh, change the way we do everything. I mean, this is just crazy. Anyway, uh, let's go to your calls. I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you think about uh, everything we're talking about here. Let's go to Paul, Reading, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Paul, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. I'm Rich Valdez with an S. I appreciate how you say that so we yes, don't sir. do a Z. I, you, have a, you had a good interview with the gentleman that uh, was talking about race relationships. Oh, yeah. Mr. Brando. I'm sorry? Michael Brando. Michael Brando, right. And uh, I applaud that uh, he was speaking out for for, uh, sanity in terms of race relationships. And uh, that's certainly true because uh, there's a lot of insanity. And uh, he also said that he lives in a white neighborhood, but the blacks are coming in, and that was okay. And he loves blacks, which I thought was showing diversity in, in his uh, opinion and open-mindedness. So uh, the reason I'm speaking is one thing I would really like to have had him put in his book, and probably he did, that when there's riots and troubles, uh, the blacks seem to get away with it. But when it's uh, like in the insurrection on uh, January 6th a year ago, that, um, you know, <clears throat> they don't... Um, they get yeah, and you know, what's interesting about that situation is I see the point you're making, but to me the larger point is it's it's kind of like um, you know the old saying history is written by the victors, and our news is written by our news people, and so it's interesting to me that it's okay to go out and 
and march in the name of racial justice. And by marching, they mean burning things down, taking over police stations, hurting people, burning police cars, uh, rioting. And when uh, you have a similar situation with not not as much violence and not as much fire uh, uh, with the uh, January 6th um, riot, that that's somehow the, the worst thing in the world. And I don't think it it's done that way to to be um, displayed along racial lines. I think it's done that way just because that's how they pick and choose which story they like. If they like this narrative, then that's okay. You're just marching for justice. If they don't like your story, it's an insurrection and you're crazy and you're bad. Uh, excellent point, Paul. I appreciate the call from WEEU, Reading, Pennsylvania. Folks, stay with us. More to come straight ahead. We've got more guests, more calls, more topics, more me. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Uh, Welcome to the program. If you want to join us in our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free. The number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, I want to um, get into a couple of things. We we had a a couple of really cool discussions in, in the first hour and we're going to continue in our second hour. And of course, hour number three, Open Phone America. Don't miss that when you get to call in and weigh in on any topic. Uh, right now, we're going to keep it to the topics that we're on. Uh, but a couple of headlines I want to go over before I uh, jump into everything. Um, the Biden White House is celebrating Bidenomics, and they're doing this as the economy is slowing down. I mean, it just again, this this never ceases to amaze me. I am I'm stupefied, if that's a word that I could use here, uh, that this is actually what's happening. Now, uh, MSNBC is reporting that the White House cocaine was found near the Situation Room. Hmm. Interesting. Went from the library to some cubby where you where visitors check their cell phones. to now it's near the Situation Room. This story gets better and better every day. It's like a Spanish telenovela. Every day you get a new story. Uh, I love it. Uh, now, the Biden administration is also forming a global coalition against fentanyl. It's so global that it doesn't include China, where the fentanyl is coming from. You can't make this stuff up. You, you'd think that this is uh, satire here, but this is the real deal. And it's a shame. And I also have a um, some other news I wanted to share with you. And I was going to sh- share it later, but I want to share it now. Because, well, because I can do that. And here they are. A couple of shout-outs. This is news for the show, right? Uh, Rich Valdez, America at Night, has added several new stations. And thrilled to welcome them. KTTH in Seattle. 
Welcome. Love KTTH. That's 770 AM. I actually started on 770 AM in New York, WABC. So uh, we have a kindred spirit there. I've done some morning show work there with them over the years. So a big shout out to everybody in Seattle who's listening on the overnight there. Uh, Let's see. We've also got WLIP in Milwaukee, KAPE in Paducah, Kentucky. And let's see what we've got here. WDXE, Nashville. And uh, a couple of new stations coming up. This is really nice. All live clearance, too. Check this out. KFNX, Phoenix. Coming up. Phoenix is great. Baton Rouge, WBRP. Big shout out to them. FM station in Louisiana. And KFOY, KFOY, Reno, Nevada. All live carries uh, of our show so big shout out to all of those wonderful stations that have joined the america at night family i'm so grateful for all of the listeners as we continue to expand our program and i want to get into a, a little something i was scrolling through social media and i saw a really good tweet from ben weingarten and uh of course you, he's been on the show before and and you know him from Real Clear Politics, Real Clear Investigations. He's the editor-at-large at Real Clear Investigations. And he, he puts a, a, a really good tweet out criticizing uh, the author of, of, a, of a forthcoming book. Uh, but her critique was on the outcome of the censorship decision that came from the federal court earlier this week saying the judge's order prohibiting contact between federal agencies and social media platforms ignores the threat of hostile foreign adversaries and criminals online. I think that's okay if we ignore them. But anyway, <laughs> uh, request to remove this information is not censorship. Well, in many ways it is, but we continue. The Bill of Rights is not a suicide pact. What is wrong with this woman? Now, mind you, this is Barb McQuaid. This woman, uh, according to her bio on Twitter, is a wife, a mom, a University of Michigan law school professor, a former United States attorney, uh, MSNBC legal analyst, and the author of the forthcoming book, Attack from Within, How Disinformation is Sabotaging America. Um, Okay, whatever you say. Now, Ben Weingarten, he, uh, he chimes in with a bunch of really good points. And rather than me tell you everything he said, I've got him on the line and he can tell us all what he said. Ben Weingarten, welcome, sir. Rich, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yes, sir. Likewise. Uh, always a pleasure. Uh, so I, 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 I've got the tweet in front of me, but you unleashed on her, uh, in a very factual way. And, and I thought, uh, a lot of what you said made so much sense and, and you really took your time to, to spell it out. So, why don't you break it down for us and tell us a little bit of, about your critique of what she was saying? Well, first, uh, it bears noting that Barb McQuaid is sort of a deep state DOJ or par excellence. So when huh. she she comes at this with the uh, it, you know disinformation expert and this whole case, you know, the context for this is obviously usually important. This whole case is about the fact that basically every federal agency under the sun, the White House, its third-party cutout, quote-unquote, anti-disinformation partners, and the social media companies colluded to censor Americans' speech on stories from the Hunter Biden laptop story to questions about mail-in balloting and election integrity and then election outcomes in 2020. 
and then to virtually every aspect of the Chinese coronavirus under the sun. So she's talking about, well, national security concerns, which is, of course, the go-to of deep staters anytime their prerogatives are challenged. That is That has almost nothing to do with the conduct that has been evidenced based on the discovery in this unbelievable Missouri v. Biden case. So set mm-hmm. that aside for a second. What McQuaid did here in invoking national security and criminal acts and such, well, the fact of the matter is that if you read, simply read the injunction, the temporary injunction put forth by this judge, freezing the federal government-led part of the censorship regime that's been imposed on us, it explicitly prohibits or rather explicitly allows the government to engage in conversations with social media companies that might have to deal with a national security threat. And so I simply lay out in these bullet points in response to her, again, queen of fighting disinformation here, that she is spewing disinformation by not looking at the text of the injunction itself, which clearly she could read. And by the way, she's not the only one who took this tact in terms of attacking the federal judge here for having the gall to actually defend our First oh, Amendment right. rights in this mm-hmm. July 4th injun- uh, temporary injunction. Andrew Weissman also, who I'm sure your listeners know, you know, is among the most and he he came out with this exact same argument. And this telegraphed, actually, the argument that the DOJ went with yesterday when they issued a motion to get a stay on the temporary injunction, which means they are calling for the judge to freeze his freeze of the censorship regime. And what do they point to? Well, they point to the fact that his temporary injunction could lead to a grave attacks on Americans and their democratic institutions. What is that argument? What they are saying is upholding and defending the First Amendment is a threat to Americans and their institutions, and they say poses irreparable harm to the government. Think about how backwards that is. But this was the exact argument that the likes of the McQuaid's and Weissman's of the world were telegraphing, and it's exactly what the U.S. government now is arguing in trying to go right back to the censorship regime that has temporarily been frozen. Ben Weingarten, does the U.S. government have a, a, a right to, um, to the First Amendment? <laughs> well, there, there, is, uh, there is some precedent out there which makes the argument that, you know, the government has a right to speak and it's sort of a privileged right to speak. But guess what? This temporary injunction does not prevent the government from speaking. This temporary injunction does not say federal government agencies, you can't have Twitter accounts, you can't have Facebook accounts, you can't have TikTok accounts, although you probably shouldn't. You can't put out press releases. You can't do interviews with the media. No one is taking away the government's right to speak. What they're trying to freeze here is the government's right to take away or its privilege that it's taken upon itself to take away your right to speak. And the government has no such authority, obviously, to abridge your speech. And this gets it totally backwards. The government has a right to censor you and you have no right to combat that is basically what it's saying. And, you know, if the federal government wants to get in the business of defending the idea that pervasive election interference and rampant viewpoint discrimination is its God-given right, then we're even more unmoored from the Bill of Rights, from the Declaration of Independence that started this whole project than I think any of us would have ever imagined. Yeah, really well put. And, and you know, I think we're there, honestly. Uh, I, I feel in the government class, you have people that, I don't know, they just, they get it wrong. They think that they're, 
they have this, this savior syndrome or this godlike complex where they feel that, you know, you know, well, we're the government. You know, I'm I'm Andrew Weissman. You're just Ben Weingarten and Rich Valdez. What do you know? You guys are lackeys, but we're the government and we we do things and we know how to maneuver, you know, our our rules to get whatever we want. But I think the rest of the world is buying into this stuff. And I get my coffee at a Cuban place every morning. And I was talking to the guy and we we're talking about just the fundamental aspect of the Constitution. Like I was saying, you know, there's a reason it says we the people really big at the top uh, because it's a document from we the people. And, and it's it's outlining the limitations that the government has on we the people. This is not the government telling us what they're allowing us to do. This is us telling the government the bounds that we have. And I think there's a real difference uh, in in that. That's not just semantics. But his argument to me, and again, this is a, a Cuban exile. Uh, his argument to me was, no, it's the government that's in charge. And I said, well, I could see why you see it that way, because you're from Cuba and you grew up under communism. Uh, but it doesn't work that way. It's not the way we, we designed our system. And we had a big fight, uh, honestly, not a big fight, but a big discussion. And ultimately, um, he, um, you know, did a little reading and, and came back and said, look, it seems like legal scholars are split on this. And, you know, so I'll, I'll concede the point to you, but uh, I don't think you're totally right. Uh, but, but I realized, wow, there are people out there that do believe that the government is almighty. And I'm not one of them. Yeah, and of course, you know, the government governs with our consent. It gets all of its powers from us. And to your point, the government operates in a paradigm that is diametrically opposed to this, the system that the founders framed for us. Their view is essentially the government has limitless powers, and they might let you enjoy a little bit of your freedoms every once in a while, but only within certain defined limits. And you're not allowed to have certain opinions that dissent from the official government opinion. And you're certainly not allowed to put out inconvenient facts because that's dangerous malinformation. And the government uses the pretext of national security or public health or threat to democracy or critical infrastructure or whatever you want to call it as a rationale. And that's what every single tyrannical regime does. Every single tyrannical regime says what it's doing is for your own good. But in reality, in usurping that power, it destroys the very freedoms on which this entire system is based. And I, and I take your point and completely agree. If there was one, and there were many demoralizing aspects of the Chinese coronavirus response, but if it may be the most demoralizing one is what percentage of Americans were willing to remain silent and go along with it because this is what the experts said and this is what the science says. And just because the science might have said one thing and oftentimes it didn't say what the science, what the science, i.e. Anthony Fauci, said it said, that doesn't mean that all of your rights are gone at the drop of a hat. And unfortunately, you know, we've ceded many of those rights and it's going to be hard fought to get them back. But this, this federal case, at least, provides a glimmer of optimism around this July 4th holiday. Folks, we're on with Ben Weingarten. He is the author of American Ingrate. Uh, subtitle here, Ilhan Omar and the Progressive Islamist Takeover of the Democrat Party. You want to check that out. And uh, we're coming back uh, to Ben Weingarten. We're going to talk a little bit about his columns and the latest one. And don't move a muscle. Let me give you the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. 
This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So I'm looking at a piece in the New York Post here, chilling revelations on the rise of the Fed's Orwellian speech police, and it's written by Benjamin Weingarten. Ben Weingarten is with us. He's our guest. Uh, ben, let's walk through this one. Um, I think it's perfect uh, to include it, you know, this part of the conversation following the, the conversation we just had, where the House uh, Subcommittee on the Weaponization of Government puts out a report, and, and it seems to fit so hand in glove with um, with everything that we're seeing happening this week and, and the response that we just discussed. Ben. Yeah, so this this piece kind of builds on something that I've been covering for for some time now and actually testified before uh, House Homeland Security Subcommittee on Oversight in May about the role that a DHS, Department of Homeland Security, sub-agency that probably no one had ever heard of up until all of these revelations around the censorship regime that's been imposed on us started to come to the fore. But CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure well, I just want to Security stop you there. Agency. You know, the first time I think they made headlines was when Trump said, there seems to be issues with the election. They said, nope, most secure election we've ever had. <laughs> that was the first <laughs> and, time and, I heard of them. And I was like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? What is CISA? And 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 funny enough, the, the head of CISA, who was then let go, ended up forming a consultancy with the heads of one of those cutouts that I mentioned who sort of helped engage, lead the mass surveillance and censorship regime in the private sector, which was partnered with CISA and founded by interns who were actually working at CISA at the very time they were developing this architecture to go about collecting and then ultimately flagging for social media companies at mass scale for censorship content. Yeah, it's incredibly incestuous. Uh, And of course, there's also the incestuous nature of the fact that the social media companies themselves their quote-unquote trust and safety or integrity teams, which are like their in-house censorship teams, are almost all populated with former intelligence community, former mm-hmm. national security officials. Um, so it all works hand in glove. But so the the Judiciary uh, Subcommittee on Weaponization put out this report showing some of the Orwellian things that CISA, the linchpin of this censorship regime, has been up to, including the fact that they literally considered developing rapid response teams to send what amounts to effectively actual speech police into jurisdictions around election day where misdis and malinformation about elections was being spewed on social media. So they actually considered that. Let me just give everybody the title of this piece again, because we're going to run out of time, but I want everybody to read it. Chilling revelations on the rise of the feds Orwellian speech police. I'm going to tweet this out. Make sure you take a look at it. Now, Ben Weingarten, let everybody know how they could follow you and learn more about the work you're doing. Yep. Follow me on Twitter at BH Weingarten or my Substack where I shoot out all my work, weingarten.substack.com. Thanks so much, Rich. Outstanding, brother. Thanks for joining us. Definitely got to do it again soon. Godspeed to you. 
folks, Ben Weingarten. Check him out. Get his book and read his columns. And we're coming right back. More to come straight ahead. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. Rich Valdez, make sure you uh, jot the number down. Give us a call. Open Phone America is coming up at the top of the hour, and you can chime in anytime, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Happy to chat with you on this uh, Friday edition of the program. Now, I want to talk about why Americans are less proud than they've been before. Now, a few days ago, we mentioned... Um, a Gallup poll that said uh, there's a record low. 38% uh, of Americans say they're extremely proud to be American. And, uh, of course, that's concerning. But the bigger question is why? Why is it happening? What's going on? Well, to get to the bottom of that, Lisa W. Miller is going to join us. She's a nationally known researcher and author of the just-released book, The Business of Joy. And she's with us right now. Lisa, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So let's talk about your take on why you feel that this number is not where it once was with respect to the poll, uh, where people are not taking extreme pride in America like they once did. Yeah, that is such a great question. And a lot of what I do is actually just exactly that, getting to the whys behind the numbers and when I saw this poll come out um, back in March, you know, it definitely was disturbing. And the first thing I always want to do is kind of look at that long-term trend because, you know, you see the headline saying it's at an all-time low. And so you have to really look at what happened. And so to put it in context first, and then we'll dig into the whys of today, the yeah. poll started about 20 years ago. And it was at the high, you know, right after 9-11, that number of extreme, extremely proud was 70%. So, you know, compare that to today, we're just barely half of that, right? Um, but after it peaked in the those years after 9-11, it kind of stabled back down to the 50s. Um, but then since 2013, it's just been on a steady, steady, steady climb. And then the last year, you know, last year versus this year, it definitely dropped a lot. So in a context perspective, it's been a steady decline, but we definitely kind of, you know, we dipped down quite a lot year over year. Um, but it's fascinating to look at the big picture, right? When you look at the long-term trends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if you think about what's going on today, so you mentioned the 38%. Yeah. Um, coming, off of the, coming off of the pandemic, um, what you can see in the data is this, not surprising, um, this massive divide between, you know, the, the political affiliations. 
So, you know, basically from 2016 to 2020, you know, Democrats weren't so happy. And then now, you know, 2020 to current, you know, Republicans have dropped like 20 points. So we've had this kind of ebb and flow. And that's been a huge part of it. And now, let me ask you, divide, was that part of the sure. it, 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 let's say from 2001 to 2010 uh, was did we see the same thing along party lines or is that a new phenomenon? Oh, that is a great question, Rich. And back in 20, um, call it 20, uh, 2003, um, the peak, there's, there was a 20-point gap, Republican to Democrat, even back in 2003, at the peak of patriotism, let's call it, at least for this particular poll. And there was this 20-point gap. Um, back in, let's see, it was 2019, it was a 50-point gap almost a 50-point gap. So the gap has just completely widened between the two parties. So it's pretty dramatic. (laughs) Right. So it's been consistent, but it's getting bigger. It is absolutely getting bigger. And so what, you know, again, so if you think about that long-term trend, there's always been, if you think about two lines running kind of, you know, simultaneously, the red line's been above the blue line pretty consistently, but then there's these bigger gaps where one goes up, one goes down. And obviously, no surprise when you look at the pandemic, and I've, I have my own research going that's 60,000 consumers over the last three years since the pandemic, and that is this whole project I call the Journey Back to Joy, and basically, the, the pandemic, it, it really just, it divided us. You know, even today, there's lingering fear, lingering anxiety. And, you know, we became scared of each other. And so that's been a yeah. big problem of the, these numbers today. And that's putting it nicely, scared of each other. <laughs> and it's true, <laughs> but it is putting it nicely. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing all these videos on social media of the way people were treating each other on airlines and, you know, the way they were treating children. And it just it was like uh, we'd entered a new world, uh, you know, a permanent twilight zone, which I'm glad is gone. Uh, But let's um, remind everybody about um, who you are and what you're doing. Lisa Miller is nationally known researcher and author of the just released book, The Business of Joy. We're talking about. Why such a gap between the um, Democrats and Republicans and why are so many Americans not extremely proud? And, of course, we're going to talk about uh, the business of joy as well. So don't go anywhere, folks. We're just getting started. There is more to come straight ahead. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez. And uh, we're discussing why only 38% of U.S. adults um, say they're extremely proud to be Americans. That's the the lowest number in Gallup's uh, trend, which began back in 2001 for this particular poll. Um, Again, together with the 27% who are very proud, 65% 65% of U.S. adults express pride in the nation. Another 22% say they're moderately proud, 
while 9% are only a little proud and 4% are not proud at all. Uh, Our guest, Lisa W. Miller, she's a nationally known researcher and the author of the just-released book, The Business of Joy. Now, Lisa Miller, I have a question here. Because I feel, and again, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, or you're the researcher, so you set me straight. But I tend to think this ought to be a binary question. Are you proud of America or are you not? And I think when they give you these caveats of saying, well, I'm a little bit proud. Well, I'm not really proud. You know, I'm I'm moderately proud or whatever. When when you have all these options, I think it dilutes the number. um, And maybe it gives you a more granular approach, but it also gets people to... um, uh, to I don't know to I guess vacillate is what I'm thinking. And Rich, that's a great question. And I certainly it's it's a five point scale, which actually is a pretty typical consumer research scale. Mm-hmm. And the reason um, researchers we tend to we like to use those scales is it does give you that granularity. And I do think that you what you just mentioned I think is super important is the fact that you know when you think about two thirds of America say that they're extremely or very proud. That really paints a different picture than maybe the doom and gloom of the 38 percent. But the other important, yeah, and the other really important number that you also mentioned was there's only, um, I think it was nine and four, so 13 percent are at the very bottom. And so I think that one of the things that as a researcher, it, it can be a little bit frustrating is that when I look at the, the, the total scale of the five points, it's not as doom and gloom. Now, yes, the, the macro trend is declining, which, you know, we can talk about some of the whys, a few more of the whys. But the great news is two-thirds of Americans are extremely very, and very few, you know, 13%, one in 10 are really just kind of like, I'm done with it. You know, I'm not at all proud. So I think that it's important, you know, as a researcher, it's important to look at all of the data, not just, you know, just the one data point. Yeah, I agree. And I think context matters. And, and I guess maybe that's why I'm saying I feel like it's, you know, I, I guess as a dad, I, I always think if you give your kids too many options, you may not get the outcome <laughs> you're looking for. You know, but, but when you give them, you know, this binary, you either do this or you do that, then I think you, you get the results you're looking for. And sometimes simplicity is is uh, is key. Uh, but I understand from your perspective as well, being able to, to get down to the nitty gritty of it. Uh, now, I want yeah. to um, I, I want to remind everybody again about your book. Uh, the uh, the book just released, The Business of Joy. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, actually, first, let's take a quick pause, and then we will talk about your book. This way we have enough time and we don't have to be interrupted by a commercial break. Folks, we're on with Lisa Miller, nationally known researcher and author of the just-released book, The Business of Joy. Again, the phone number, if you have a question for her, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
All right, we're on with Lisa W. Miller. She's uh, a researcher and the author of the book, The Business of Joy. And these are her musings over the last couple of years during the pandemic and things that she's learned about the economic recovery. And uh, an interesting statement here, economic recovery begins when joy is greater than fear. And I, I think that's a, 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 a really powerful statement for someone that deals with facts, figures, and numbers as a researcher, right? Because uh, while I'm sure you could back that up with facts and figures, joy is, I think, a difficult thing to quantify. But I 100% agree with the statement that people will spend money and things will be better in the economy when there's joy and not fear. And we're seeing that right now, I'm trying to buy a car for my kid. And, uh, you know, because of the economic fears we have, people are, you know, jacking up the price because of inflation and this and that. And a car that would have probably cost me like five or six or $7,000 a few years ago is going for eight or nine or 10,000 now. And it's just, uh, it's remarkable to me, but I agree that, the economic recovery begins when joy is greater than fear. Let's talk about your book, Lisa, The Business of Joy. Yeah, so it's a, it's an interesting, let me give you the backstory. So I do a lot of work with restaurants and retail, and you can imagine my business came to a crashing halt like so many others did in March of 2020. Mm. And so as a researcher, you know, I started looking to say there were all these things people were doing that were trying to replace the connections that we had, the joyful things that we did. We had, you know, remember we did like Zoom birthday parties. Uh, we did, you know, like uh, all these different things and connections to, to build. So as Americans, we were looking for joy. But then what happened was, is that the language of COVID, which I, I dedicated a whole chapter in the book, the language of COVID, it was what was designed to protect us ended up scaring us. And so literally I had this aha moment and I literally came up with this idea that when joy was greater than fear, the economic recovery could begin. And so then I started measuring, you know, the consumer sentiment um, out of my own pocket. You know, my business was crashed down, but I'm like, okay, I had time. So let's try this (laughs) passion project. And what ended up happening is this framework I created became a leading indicator of restaurant sales and retail sales and traffic because I was measuring back then everybody was asking like, are you scared? Well, yeah, I'm scared. And then are you going to go back out? Hell no, I'm not going to go back out. And so, but I asked different questions to say, what are the activities that brought you joy? What are you missing the most? And then what are you going to do first when Things are, you know, more settled down. So I came up with this framework that literally was, I think, pretty unconventional, but it was all about measuring joy and and also monitoring the fear. And so then I turned it into a book. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. And, and again, um, what are some of those metrics, again, uh, that you use to, to measure joy? So basically, if you can imagine, okay, so I'm going to be a little research geeky here for a minute, so bear with me is if you can imagine like this two by two quadrant, right? So on one side, it was the, the what, are, what are people not doing anymore? So I'm not going to restaurants. I'm not going to church, all of those things. So that was pretty easy. But the vertical axis is what were the activities that gave you joy? And it was crazy. It was like going to church, dining out at restaurants, 
and shopping, believe it or not. So those were the top three activities that people said gave them the most joy. And then I asked them, what are you going to do first? So when the doors open again, what are you going to do first? And I just measured that week after week. Literally in the very beginning, I did a thousand consumer surveys every week, you know, for the first several months. And I just measured the progress and attitudes lead behaviors. So as the attitudes became, you know, people became more uh, ready to go out, then I knew the economy was going to be opening up. But what happened was I said the, and it was May, the summer of 2020, I called it the reality collided, the theory of reopening collided with reality. Because imagine like, we think we're ready. We think we're ready. We need to go back out. I can't wait to go back out. And then the doors opened and then we were still scared, right? Because it's like, wait a minute. I thought I wanted to go out. Yeah, I was out. I I never stayed home, but a lot of people were, were, were frozen with fear. Yeah, totally frozen. And so fast forward, and what you just described, Rich, was so true, is fast forward, you know, this this framework that I created for the COVID pandemic, I've been evolving it to measure kind of this anxiousness around inflation and recessions mm. and all of that. And right now, we're not scared of COVID, but what we are scared of scared is inflation. Of yeah, well, it's recession, it's inflation, but we're also you know, I have a data point that 44% of Americans are scared to go out in public because of rising violence. And nobody's wow. talking about it, Rich, is that this, the violence that's constantly were every single day, that is negatively impacting the economy. And I just feel like not enough people are talking about that, that it's, it's impacting the economy. Wow. You know, there's been, a, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, we had like a running joke with uh, the producers on the show where we were saying, oh, here's the latest business in San Francisco to close up shop and leave San Francisco. And like Starbucks and, and Target and a, a bunch of places have just really just closed up shop. Um, and it's because of all the theft and what's going on. And they couldn't manage the theft because people became very violent to go in there and steal stuff. And, and there was yeah. zero enforcement. And I could imagine if I lived in a neighborhood like that, um, you know, I'm, I would be alarmed for sure. And I'd probably be armed, you know, or a, a lot more um, on edge if, if I was out there. Right. And I have two daughters. So, you know, I would definitely be on edge and, and making sure they're not going to these places. So it, it makes a lot, a lot of sense for me. And I, you know, I'm a big dude, 200 pounds and whatever I can handle myself. But I realize not everybody's in that position where they, they're going to go down that road. People just want to feel safe. And uh, they want to feel safe when they don't. Well, and what I tell my clients and any business owners, small business or big businesses, I had a phrase also that I developed during the pandemic, lead with joy, reassure with safety. And in the pandemic, what that meant is, you know, you know, welcome people back, focus on the joy of the experiences, but make sure all the safety protocols are in place. Well, that same premise holds true today, but it's a bit different. Like things like are the parking light, the parking lot lights working? Are there security cameras? So you don't want to talk about, you don't go advertise, hey, we're safe. You lead with joy, but you still want to make sure that those safety um, signals are there. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, Lisa Miller, I just want to remind everybody, uh, the book is The Business of Joy, untold lessons from the pandemic, what's next and how to prepare. And I love that you've kind of parlayed from the pandemic into inflation and rising crime and 
all the issues of the day that we have now that are still affecting people in that same way. Uh, now, if people want to get a copy of the book, where do they go? The best place to go would be Amazon and just type in The Business of Joy um, by Lisa W. Miller, and it'll be right there. Outstanding. Well, Lisa W. Miller, thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Folks, check out her book, The Business of Joy. Godspeed to you and have a great night. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Folks, more to come straight ahead. Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And that's Valdez with an S, by the way. I am your liberty-loving Latino amigo. You may have heard me on the radio before. If it's your first time tuning in, welcome. I'm happy that you're here. Uh, This is America's late-night town hall conversation. So uh, pull up a chair to our big uh, kitchen table where we talk about politics and everything else. And uh, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, it's the third and final hour of the program. And what we do here is uh, Open Phone America, a tradition started by Larry King back in 1978 when I was born. And then it was continued uh, for the 15 years he ran this show. And then uh, by Jim Bohannon after that for three decades, God rest his soul. And uh, we continue to honor that tradition uh, as both of those... uh, titans of talk radio did and i'm looking forward to speaking with you guys and a couple of things i want to talk about um i'm going to put them out there now so that i you know you can hold my feet to the fire to make sure i get to them before the end of the program uh but chicago cops are now being accused of having sexual relations with migrants that are being housed in their precincts yep we're going to get to that in a little bit uh, but first, I want to uh, continue with the thread of why people aren't proud to be Americans. And there's some news on Bud Light. And yes, it's not that good. Uh, the, uh, the, the once number one beer in America has now not number two, not number three. It's not even number 10. It's outside of the top 10. So we're going to have a, a, a little bit of a discussion on that. And. The Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, now has new guidance for trans people that are, listen to this word they've created, chest feeding their kids. Uh, And they're accused of failing to consider possible health risks. Um, This is absolute insanity. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's official website published advice for trans and non-binary individuals seeking guidance on how to chest feed infants. I didn't even know chest feeding was a thing. I thought it was called breastfeeding, right? Because that's how children eat. (laughs) Unbelievable. Infants, at least. Uh, In sections of the um, 
CDC's guidance on breastfeeding. It contained information for those who've had much of their breasts removed in gender reassignment surgeries uh, or biological men taking hormones to grow breasts on how to feed their newborn children. Now, listen, if you're a doctor or a medical professional, if, if, if you take hormones, does that mean that you will have mammary glands and produce milk for a child if you're a man? I'm going to venture to say my uneducated guess is, oh, no, absolutely not. I don't think that's the case. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe with a ton of estrogen, that actually becomes a thing. So we'll research that during the break. Uh, and if you are an expert in this field, please give me a call and let me know. Uh, but that's what we've got on the table. I want to get to your calls because I see calls are coming in from uh, the East Coast right now. we got two calls coming in from Jersey, one on WDEL, the other on WOND. Let us go to Doc Wilmington, Delaware. Excuse me. Wilmington, Delaware, why he's proud to be an American. Let us know, Doc. I am. I'll tell you why. One of my favorite presidents, he was shot six years ago when I was nine years old. Uh, John F. Kennedy said the following. Domestic policy may hurt us. Foreign policy can kill us. All right? Mm -hmm. The only man right now in the country leading on foreign policy is my president, the man I'm going to vote for for re-election, even though I voted for President Trump twice, I will vote for President Biden for re-election. I'll tell you why. He is standing up to the Russians over Ukraine, the Red Chinese over Taiwan, and the Iranians over free travel over the Persian Gulf into the state of Israel. No man on the political landscape, other than President Biden, has the guts to stand up to these three major existential threats, not just Israel, but to the United States of America, except for President Biden, in my view. And so you're willing to put up with the um, the economy and, and all the rest of the um, the issues that come along with Biden because you feel that he's doing good in supporting Ukraine? No, that's not the issue. I said direct, general foreign policy. He's standing up to the Russians over Ukraine, the Red Chinese over Taiwan, and he's standing up to the Iranians over free passage of the Persian Gulf and the threat, to, the existential threat to Israel. And we are going to have to fight those people, I'm sorry to say. I'll say this on public radio right now, in a big war someday in the future. Not that much over the horizon. Okay? But They're going for Ukraine and Taiwan. And, don't and, you and think the that first. the Republican candidates that. are going to have those same positions and probably do it better? No. I'll tell you why. Leading public candidate is President, President Donald J. Trump. My word for twice. I won't vote for him again. He said in Manchester, New Hampshire, and I quote, I will negotiate an end to the Russia-Ukraine war. There's good and bad on both sides. and I'm a negotiator. I'm a businessman. I'll end that war very quickly. There's not good and bad on both sides. Okay? I've been to that part of the world in my travels, both professionally and as a private citizen. And I can tell you straight up, the Russian government and Putin are bad, bad thugs. The Ukrainian mm -hmm. government elected people, elected a, a Jewish-Ukrainian comedian, Okay? They elected the Ukrainian Jews, their leader. He's done an outstanding job. Okay? Now then, I do not trust the Republicans to support Ukraine or Taiwan or or Israel against uh, Iran. I'll tell you why. So you think because Trump would turn his back on Israel? He's I don't been think the most he would pro Israel, Israel president we've ever had. I, I don't trust Trump on, on, on foreign policy. I'm going to tell you why. He thinks he can negotiate his way out of anything. He cannot, Rich. There's a time when you have to have used force or a threat well, I mean, of force forget about what he thinks. Let's just look at his record. 
I mean, he, he's the only president in, in, in American history, at least in my lifetime, that was able to to have a peace accord signed with uh, several Arab nations, uh, the uh, Abraham Accords. He, no new wars. I mean, his record to me speaks volumes. I'm not trying to convince you. I just, I, I feel like you're very astute and, and you know what's going on. And um, it seems like you're picking the, the weaker of two candidates on, on all the areas. I mean, l- look at how um, things progressed with Iran, right? Um, the, these guys are for the JCPOA and, and so was Obama, but Trump made sure that didn't happen. So why do you think that that Biden would do a better job on Iran, for example, uh, and and his defense of Israel than that Biden would do better than Trump when Trump's already has a, a track record? But I don't trust the man after what he said in, in Manchester, Hampshire, on the on the Russia-Ukraine war. He said he's a negotiator. He said, I can negotiate anything. You cannot negotiate anything. Yeah. Israel is faced with an existential enemy in Iran, and then Israel's going to be backed by eventually American military you know, force. I don't okay? think there's any so reason. Yeah, at this point, I, I don't see any reason why uh, anybody would think any president, Democrat or Republican, would would uh, turn their back uh, on Israel. I mean, they're an ally of our country. Uh, even Obama, who was spying on their elections and was clearly uh, anti Netanyahu, um, you know, was in bed with Iran. In my opinion. Uh, even him, he faced so many hurdles to do those things because of the alliance that we have with Israel. So I guess this is one of those things where we just we won't agree. Um, and, and it's not my prerogative to, to get Trump any votes. Uh, but I just think the price that we're going to pay for for somebody that's going to stand up to Iran, somebody that's going to stand up to China and somebody that's going to stand up to Russia is a heck of a price uh, in voting for, for Joe Biden again when any Republican, well, I'm talking Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis, you name it, uh, any one of them would do a better job than Joe Biden, in my opinion. But very interesting points. Thank you, Doc. 833-482-5337. Coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. And uh, my head is still spinning. Uh, Number one, Oxford University Press back in 2021, they say that, yes, biological men uh, transition to women, transgender women can breastfeed. Now, it's not 100 percent all the time, but there's been a couple of recorded cases that um, men taking hormones were able to produce enough milk to feed a child. 
So uh, I didn't know the answer. I do know the answer now. My head is still spinning. Plus, my head's spinning because our buddy Doc in Wilmington, Delaware, who always joke around and say, oh, that's uh, Joe Biden's neighbor, uh, who usually calls and has nothing but um, criticism for Joe Biden, today has taken up for Joe Biden, saying he is a foreign policy expert, if you will. And um, and I, I just, uh, to my chagrin, I, I think that's that's not the case. I think things are not great today. And a lot of that has to do with Joe Biden, uh, in particular, uh, Afghanistan. I think that was a disastrous withdrawal that put us in such a weak position. Uh, but let's continue our conversation. We're going to get to all of your calls. We got calls, by the way, from Vermont, from Maine, Kentucky, North Dakota, and New Jersey. Let's go to Greg in Abseekin, New Jersey, W-O-N-D. Greg, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Mr. Valdez, good, mo- good morning. Yes, sir. Uh, could I touch on Joy uh, Noah's book. Oh, yes, of course. Of Joy. Mm -hmm. The Business of Joy. Joy, no doubt, looms in the American psyche sometime in the future. But we've been since Afghanistan, the American people are standing at the bottom of the hill, and everything that's been produced is punitive. As far as where we stand on the um, scale of existence. It has not gotten any better. It keeps getting worse. And some of the things that they did during COVID are just not describable. I mean, they're so stupid. You Mm. can't believe that some of these things were going on. Yeah, a lot. I got to tell you, many of us are struck with incredulity, right? You're just like, is that really happening? Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with you, Greg. I think you're, you're on to something there, both the uh, Afghanistan withdrawal and uh, the way that COVID was handled. I mean, when Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, when he said that people that were in the church choir couldn't sing because they were breathing too hard or too heavy, uh, that this wasn't allowed, but people were allowed to march and, and to protest and to do whatever, even if they're having church outside. Th- th- this, to me, was just so bizarre. And it's just one of many examples where things like that happen. So I think you're right. Um, let us uh, continue. Let's go to uh, Otis, Morgantown, Kentucky. Hello, Rich. Hey, Otis. What's up, my man? Welcome. Uh, I, I just want to speak with you, man, uh, buddy. I uh, sure enjoy listening to you every night, I want to say. And that guy was talking about uh, Trump not having no foreign policy or anything. Listen, I was born during when Eisenhower was in there. I don't know if any other president brought bones of the Korean War veterans back. Yeah. Yeah, excellent point. Uh, I, I didn't remember that. I remember it now that you're bringing it up. But you're right. That, that was uh, decades in the making. Right. I think there's been a, such a strong commitment uh, from from Trump to to the military, not not the least of which was the uh, amount of money that was invested uh, in, in the military while simultaneously not using. Right. So he fed the military industrial complex, which I think is one of his greatest feats as president. It was the fact that he had to, uh, you know, you have to kind of appease those people because they, they have so much power. So, OK, he spends whatever it was, seven hundred billion dollars. But. On the other side of the same coin, no new wars, right? We don't we don't use these new weapons. We just have them. It's Reagan's peace through strength mantra, where we don't need to use them, you know, just um, 
walk quietly while carrying a big stick. And I, I think you're right. Um, I think uh, Trump did the right thing in that situation. Thank you, Otis, for the call. Morgantown, Kentucky, WKCT in Bowling Green. Uh, we continue. Let us go to Rex, St. Albans, Vermont, WVMT. Rex, go right ahead, sir. Rich, uh, a lot of good topics tonight. Uh, incredulity is definitely the word. Uh, our, our country is very crazy. Mm-hmm. I am proud to be an American. Uh, you can't take that away from, from me, and that's my, that's my people. That's our heritage, Amen. everything that makes America great, uh, the geography, our culture. Look, this guy in Wilmington is crazy. He says he's proud to be an American. He calls in and starts talking about how we got to go to war for all these, these countries for Israel. Uh, we're sending all this money to Ukraine right now, all these deadly weapons. And that's, it's, to me, it's clearly a criminal country. To me, Joe Biden is clearly a criminal. I think people are insane. And this, this dictator, Zelensky, who, as he pointed out, is this Jewish guy, is oppressing Christians over there. And they're shutting down the churches. It's absolutely insane. We don't need to be sending Americans off to die. We have so many veterans homeless in the streets here, suffering, killing themselves, dying of drugs every day. It's terrible. What we should be proud to be Americans and proud to be take, proud of these men who suffered and, and, and died and lost their limbs and, and lives and, and their families are torn apart because they tried to do the right thing and serve our country in some of these wars, many of which were misguided. But these men are doing the right thing and we need to take care of the veterans. hundred percent. I think you always got to take care of the veterans. I don't know about Zelensky's uh, oppression of Christians, per se. I know there's a lot of stories that come out of both of their disinformation, misinformation machines. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't nominate Zelensky for the sainthood any day of the week. Uh, I, I think you're right that there's a lot of criminality on, on all sides over there. I think it's a, it's corruption runs amok in that part of the world. And, uh, and it does so here as well, right? Especially in Washington. But uh, I think they, they've got us beat by, by, a, by a mile over there. And uh, our goal is to not become like that. And if we're worse than them, we at least we do a better job covering it up. Thank you, Rex. I appreciate it. Interesting uh, thoughts. St. Albans, Vermont, WVMT. Big shout out to everybody over there. Let us, uh, well, let's see. Let's go to Emmanuel, Fargo, North Dakota, KNOX. Emmanuel, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Yeah, um, I want to I stress on, the, uh, on Trump. Uh, because you know, I, I was hearing you know you guys saying that you know uh, Trump will do a better job than you know uh, than Obama than Biden. One of the things is that Trump don't understand foreign policy. So what makes America the worst superpower? Well, let me ask you: out of the people you just mentioned, you mentioned Obama, you mentioned Biden, you mentioned Trump. Which one of those three was able to achieve peace in the Middle East and get a uh, a peace treaty signed by multiple Arab nations with Israel? Trump. Right. And, and, and this is the guy that doesn't understand foreign policy. He's also the one that didn't uh, make any new wars. Uh, I think I think people don't expect him to do things the way he does them. But when we look at the bottom line and forget about his orange hair and this and that and the other, and you look at the actual results. I think he nails it every time on foreign policy. Uh, and that's just just my opinion. I think uh, Trump, Trump's a pretty smart guy when it comes to that stuff. Emmanuel, thanks for the call. Big shout out to everybody in Fargo, North Dakota, KNOX. And we're coming straight back to your calls and more. I am Rich Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back.
Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So again, just a reminder here, Bud Light, no longer the number one beer. We knew that. Uh, got boosted uh, by, or ousted, I should say, by Modelo. But it's not even in the top 10 of the most popular beers in the U.S. Bud Light is outside of the top 10. That's uh, interesting when it was the number one beer for so long. And uh, interesting story coming out of Chicago. Chicago police officers accused of having sex with illegal immigrants being housed inside of their precincts. I'm going to get to that a little bit more in depth as we move forward. And again, the stuff we're talking about uh, with respect to um, uh, trans individuals that are able to breastfeed or what they're saying, chest feed, uh, which I just, I know that was, I didn't even know that was a word, uh, but now I know it is possible, at least in one instance, the, the University of Oscar, uh, Oscar, take two, security, <laughs> the uh, Oxford University Press has at least one documented incident of a biological male that transitioned to a woman and was able to breastfeed. So needless to say, I have no socks. These headlines and somebody's calls are knocking my socks off. Let's go back to your calls. Uh, let's go to Allison, Portland, Maine, WLOB. Go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, um, I don't, I'll just start in. Um, I'm really trans. I had the whole thing done 40 years ago, surgery and everything. And I think a fair bit of the trans uh, stuff that's going on right now is pretty absurd uh, myself. I'm kind of a bit conservative like Caitlyn Jenner. But at the same time, I don't like this, just the, these group hates, these five-minute hates, you know, like out of 1984 that, that uh, seem to be on so many of the, the radio shows nowadays. So Be I'm specific. Kind of, you know, what are we talking about? These five-minute hates. What are you talking about? Well, so many of the right-wing hate, um, um, hosts will will rant about transes. It seems to be their favorite whipping boy or girl or trans. It's their favorite thing to hate on, and um, and it's very exhausting for me. And uh, but at the same, t- you know, as I said, at the same time, I don't I don't agree with everything. I don't think this. Uh, I don't think that boys uh, transitioning to girls should be competing in in the sports. That's one thing I don't believe in at all. Um, and so I'm, you know, it, it's just difficult for me because I guess I don't totally fit on either side. I guess, um, uh, if, if for example, I just, uh, you know, I think that thing everybody call, wanting to be called they and all that, I just think is really weird. But, and I guess everybody could call me really weird. But personally, I think unless you're possessed by demons or have multiple personalities or something, you really shouldn't be called they. But hey, I, you know, it, it doesn't really offend me that much. So, but I, I know that for people, you know, a lot of people, it's just, um, uh, you know, this Bud Light thing. I don't even know who that person was that they were using as a spokes uh, influencer oh, or whatever. Oh, that's Mulvaney. And I think the, the, yeah. the issue that they took with him wasn't necessarily because he was trans. They, they, they took exception with him because he I, he's a, a 27-year-old guy or something like that, and he identified as a teenage girl. So he was not only trans, but he was a trans teenage girl. And I think people took exception to that, saying, well, you're not a teenage girl. You're a grown man, and if you want to be trans, be a grown woman. And I think that was what uh, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, but uh, I understand your position as well, where you're, you're caught in between. What, what do you think about that? Do, do you identify as the same age that you were naturally born as, or did you adjust in age in your transition? 
No, I'm just yeah, me. I mean, I'm I'm in my 60s now, so uh, yeah, the, I I didn't even hear that aspect of it. Although that's not my kind of alcohol anyway. Give me red wine or vodka any day, but <laughs> that's not here nor there. But um, uh, I could say an old joke about Bud Light, but I better not on the radio. But um, yeah, so um, you know, I just I on the one hand. I, I know that these a lot of people in the trans thing are being pretty extreme, and I'm not sure. Oh boy, here I go getting offending people again. I'm not sure that everybody who is in that side is really trans necessarily, and that maybe they're not really are. Maybe they're partly or whatever. Like, I agree like, you with know, you. The, I think there's the, probably a movement afoot of people trying to uh, overdo it, if you will, to just you know make it. Like, it's so crazy because, you know, like you said, you've had your procedure surgery and everything decades ago. Right. And while I'm sure there's always been critics and there's always been some static for you, it's probably never hit the fever pitch that it's hit now. And it's because now there's the involvement of children so often and, and the the idea that they're, they're they're kind of promoting this towards children. And I think that's what's really getting people incensed. At least it's what it does for me, where I think, you know this just seems entirely inappropriate if if how old were you when you had your surgery uh 22 22 so a legal adult that you had you know by many accounts 22 23 is when your brain fully forms and you're able to make those decisions and and looks like you you made a decision that you're you're comfortable living with but I think when you're nine years old and you're offering puberty blockers and you're doing it against uh, a parent's uh, knowledge, even I think th- these are, are extremely problematic things where uh, nobody should be doing that. Uh, I, nobody should offer any type of medical stuff to, to somebody's nine, 10, 12 year old kid when they're in public school. So I, I think that that's a, a big part of where this stuff stems from. But I, I really uh, appreciate the conversation because uh, we don't have many uh, folks that are trans and, and lean conservative that call into the program. So it gives me uh, a perspective that uh, I, I don't often get to hear, Allison. Okay, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And feel free to call anytime. I appreciate the conversation. <clears throat> Let us uh, continue. This is uh, interesting stuff here. Let's go to John, Vero Beach, Florida, WTTB. John, go right ahead. Yes, good morning. How you doing, Rich? Buenos dias. I'm doing well, sir. Thank you. Yeah, me too. I'm still vertical. <laughs> there we go. Still breathing. Yeah, I uh, I want to state something. That there was a promise or something made uh, to Israel that one day we would make, uh, what was it, Jerusalem, some sort of a, Oh, yeah, they, uh, we moved uh, the embassy. Embassy, that's it. That's the right embassy. To, right. Well, he was the only one that fulfilled that promise, the only one that had the guts and the intestinal fortitude. And, and uh, Right, yeah, and, Trump and did hood. that, right. Reagan was one of the people saying that we needed to move it, and Reagan was, you know, exactly. 40-something years ago. Right, right. So this was a promise fulfilled. It was huge because— when he did that, of course, he was getting blowback from a lot of the other, you know, Middle Eastern entities, whatever, you know. But at least he had the guts to do the right thing. He did the right thing, you know. And, I agree. Uh, and also, And also, he was at every ripstitch as he was trying to push and push and get a wall built. To, to It won't completely stop the tide, but it channeled the illegals in certain directions so that we, we had some, some 
measure of control over who comes in this country. And at every ripstitch, they blocked them every way they could. It's a shame. Yeah. And then in, in certain areas where they, they have the old existing um, uh, fencing that they have, they're simply yeah. cutting right through the fence and walking right through. And, and this was why I think mm-hmm. when the initial issue with, with the border wall, he was saying, you know, you got to make it kind of convex at the top so that people can't climb it and you got to make it kind of well proof. And it just, you know, he was trying to figure yeah. out the best way to, to secure the border. And, and, and the right. amount of flack that he got, I think, was just unfair, honestly, because he was only trying to do what I think so many Americans wanted to actually happen. Uh, but, yeah, excellent point, John, in Vero Beach, WTTB. Uh, how's the weather in Vero Beach? Sounds very hot. Very hot is what it is. And uh, I plan to visit Vero Beach pretty soon. All right, let's see. Where do I go from here? I'm going to go to Gary. Ridgefield, Connecticut, WLAD, great station, excellent morning show. Gary, go right ahead. Hi, Mr. Valdez. Um, <clears throat> I'm 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 glad to hear that your voice is uh, sounding and sounding better. It, it sounds like you're feeling better too. Oh, thank you. Yes, I was. I wasn't feeling badly, um, but I, I I just couldn't talk, <laughs> and it was horrible. And uh, yeah, thank God it's coming back. I'm on the mend. I'm able to get through three hours, minimal coughing and throat clearing. And I'm thinking by Monday I should be like 100%. But I feel like a good 90% now. And thank you. I appreciate your well wishes. What's on your mind, Gary? Well, I, yeah, I imagine millions of people are, are happy that you, you, you're getting your voice back. Yeah, and that I don't um, sound like Anthony Fauci like I did last <laughs> Friday, right? <laughs> and welcome no, back. You, you never you, you never sounded like Anthony Fauci. That's oh, uh, you're very kind. Uh, we, you. we 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 all, we all give you more credit. Um, <laughs> I wanted I wanted to say a couple things. Uh, first of all, um, uh, tonight you mentioned a story about uh, two kids that uh, killed their uh, Spanish teacher because they weren't happy with the grade that oh, yeah. uh, uh, that that she gave them. Mm-hmm. Well. It, it 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 made me think um, that uh, you know some people uh, most people are good, but everybody is capable of making mistakes. So you know there's such a thing as right and wrong, and um, yeah. any uh, any person is capable, and any you know any person, good or bad, is capable of making a mistake. And you know I think that can be forgiven, but what um, what what I don't think uh, should be forgiven or what I can't forgive is uh, people who are evil, who are simply evil um, and, and um, uh, have no conscience about uh, committing uh, acts of evil. And right. uh, that's, that's how those, those kids struck me. Um, another yeah. uh, wonderful I, I example of a, of a, a baseball person like bat that to a teacher Vladimir for a bad grade. That sounds evil. Yeah, I, 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 I can't really think of a, you know, a, a, a better word to describe it. And uh, unfortunately, I, I, I would put Vladimir Putin in, in the uh, in the same category. But yeah. uh, the one other thing, I, the one other thing I wanted to say was um, you were just um, I just wanted to make a comment about Donald Trump. Yeah, uh, all right. A. A criticism and a credit. Uh, credit, he helped strengthen NATO. Where would Ukraine be with, uh, today without uh, the help of NATO? Uh, criticism, mm-hmm. he called Vladimir Putin a genius. 
I would have a very hard time voting for anybody that called Vladimir Putin a genius or uh, uh, gave him any any form of credit whatsoever. That that guy's a monster. Yeah, and and you know what, Gary, I I agree with you. I think uh, Putin's a monster. Uh, I think you know Trump is a, a a New York businessman, and he he's really shrewd in in how he deals with people. And one of the ways that I've noticed he's always done, whether he was talking about President Xi, any formidable adversary, he's always paid them some sort of respect saying, you know, I respect them very much. They're a very, very brilliant person, very smart person, very tough person, uh, giving them some sort of superlative to give them some ground. And, you know, something Trump said to me on this program, he said, you know, hosting a show that was once hosted by uh, Larry King, it's not an easy gig because if you're too nice to the guest, the listeners don't want to hear the interview. And if you're too tough to the guest on the guest, the guest won't come back and nobody else will want to come on the show as a guest. So he said, you've really got to strike that balancing act. And I think it's the same exact thing when you're dealing with these foreign leaders. You may want to blow up their country, but you don't want to blow up their country. Right. So you got to work with them. And and I think that's the way that he does it. And uh, I'm open to hearing any criticism people have on anybody. Um, I, we may not like it, but I think it was effective. I think uh, Putin didn't try all the stuff he's doing now while Trump was in office. Anyway, Gary, I got to take a pause here, but I appreciate the call. Big shout out to WLAD, great station, uh, Richfield, Connecticut. Howdy, everybody. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. The Dutch government collapsed today, Friday, after failing to reach a deal on uh, restricting immigration. I'm going to translate that for you. A European government has been broken by immigration. If you don't think that that can happen in this country, just give it more time. More time, more open border, more people will meet the same fate. Of course, we're not uh, the Dutch government when we can take on a little bit more, but ultimately, Unchecked immigration will destroy any country. So now they have a caretaker government in place and they're going to have to reelect everybody. Really just a crazy situation. Let's go to Kara, Eugene, Oregon, K-G-A-L. Kara, go right ahead. Hi, good evening uh, or Welcome. good morning back there where you are. Uh, yes. Say, I'd like to make a little comment of, uh, okay, now I have to not get nervous. Here we go. I have two things to say. Um, okay, I'll roll it into one. Go ahead. People get upset with Trump because he's called these various leaders that are such terrible people, uh, Kim Jong-il, Un, and uh, gosh, I've gotten more nervous than I thought. Anyway, yeah, you got it right. uh, yeah. he tells them that uh, he talks about Putin and different ones as having genius or being good at this or that, and what people don't recognize is that when you're talking to a sociopath, you don't start putting your fisticuffs up 
at fisticuffs up and and want to pick a fight and all that. Heck right. no. You honey him up. You sweet talk him. And I thought, why the heck can't people see through this? Oh, he called him. In. Oh, he's Putin's best buddy. What a <laughs> load. He knows yeah, who these right. people are. Why don't people just smarten up and see what he's doing? That's diplomacy. Yeah, 100%. A great point. You didn't sound nervous. You, you delivered it better than, than I could have, for sure. Uh, I, I agree with you 100%. That's exactly what I was trying to say before. You know, I was going to make a subway reference. If you're on the subway in New York City and some deranged, crazy person comes up to you and they got like a broken bottle in their hand and they're like, yo, yo, let me get a dollar. You know, it's not a good time to go, I'm not giving you a dollar. Screw you. You know, it's probably a good time to go, listen, bro, you're the man. Listen, you're, no, you got this. You're the man. You know, make him feel good. So this way you don't get cut with the damn bottle and you can have a fair fight a little bit later. Kara in Eugene, Oregon, KGAL, great point. Thank you so much. Big shout out to everybody out on the West Coast, by the way. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we're coming right back to the rest of your calls. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I love the Caribbean. Listen, I go to the Caribbean. I, I get the best tan there. I mean, uh, super dark. And it lasts for like months. Anyway, uh, let us continue. Kurt, Nashville, Tennessee, WBCF coming out of Florence, Alabama. Go right ahead quickly. Okay. Uh, very. Uh, it's an excellent program tonight, uh, Rich. Oh, thank and I, you, I enjoy your program every night. And uh, I just wanted to say some positives for President Trump. You know, I saw a list one time of his accomplishments in four years. It was a list of all kinds of uh, policy changes, initiations, everything he did in four years. It, it was over 200 major items. And uh, yeah, you know in, what? In You're our right. situation. In our situation, we're in such a crisis economically. You know, a mathematician calculated the height of $100 bills that are equivalent to our $32 trillion debt. Uh, new $100 bills stacked on top of each other, 54 miles high. You know, we need I a guy with some statistic. economic Isn't that experience. crazy? Yeah, it's like a skyscraper, uh, like a ton of skyscrapers on top of each other. Absolute insanity. And, Kurt, you're, you're 100% right. I've got a buddy who uh, runs a restaurant, and he's telling me, you know, it's not as busy as it used to be, you know, when we started. And they started during Trump's term. And he says, it has nothing to do with Trump, by the way, but, you know, we did a lot better under Trump. <laughs> and I just laugh. I'm like, all right, whatever. You're just saying that because you don't like Trump. Pat in Sedona, Arizona. Thank you, Kurt, by the way. Um, K-D-G-O. Pat, we're down to like a minute or less. Go right ahead quickly. Okay, Rich, thank you. Great show. I agree. That gentleman, Gary in Connecticut, come on, get real. And, you know, he, he just doesn't, man, it's so idiot. But that girl in Oregon, my God, there's somebody intelligent in Oregon. She is a great person. Well, <laughs> yeah, I hope she'll call back. To talk about. Yeah, they talk about Trump. Well, how about Joe Biden and his son? Over the over the week, we had to listen to that stupid submarine. Sad, I agree. Sad that those people died, but they just tore that that story up and down. You're right, and this and, and they let it linger, everybody. right? They had this search when, when it turns out they already knew that there was an implosion that they heard, but oh, we didn't think we heard it. We weren't sure. Pat, thanks for the call, brother. 
Take care. Good night. God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, we're going to do it again. Have a great weekend. I'll be with you guys on Monday. Until then, keep it locked right on this station. There's a lot more programming. I'm Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.